Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of The Bip Show is brought to you by Brookside Energy. Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting ASX-listed oil and gas companies, is about to capitalize on record-high oil and gas prices. With an existing solar production base and the first of over 20 planned new wells about to come on production, Brookside is about to join the ranks of top-tier Australian oil and gas producers. Brookside Energy, working with local communities to ensure sustainable growth and value creation through the safe and efficient development of energy assets. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. I'm Paul Colgan, director at CT Group and coming to you from lockdown. So I'm here on the line with James Whelan, investment manager at VFS Group. How are you, James? Not so bad, Paul. How are you now? Uh, I am good, all things considered, I suppose. And from Amsterdam, Ken Vexler, director at uh, Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and everything in between. I'm well. How are you, Colgan? Uh, yeah, all right. Um, I suppose I'm about to uh, canvas some of the issues <laughs> straight away. The September quarter is, is uh, looking like a bad one for the Australian economy. Um, Australia's biggest city uh, is effectively shut down for what looks like around four weeks or at least four weeks. Um, and after six months of stellar growth, there have there are definitely some clouds uh, about the place. And just today, it was announced that Melbourne is likely heading for a snap lockdown. Um, state borders are shutting again. The Delta variant of the virus um, is proving itself uh, to pose a range of fresh challenges, not just for Australia, um, but also in many other parts of the world, uh, even where there are high rates of vaccination. So what is clear is we're not out of the woods just yet. To talk about it all uh, and what it means, um, I'm uh, delighted that we have back on with us uh, Joe Masters, Chief Economist at EY Oceania and one of the best people in Australia when it comes to explaining what's happening in the economy. Joe, welcome back to The Bip Show. Fantastic to be back. Um, you were a very, uh, our guest on the very first episode of The Bip Show um, and I was reminded this week that uh, um, on uh, that show, we were uh, talking about the potential shape of the recovery. And I don't know if you cast your mind back to that. And everybody had letters, you know, um, V-shaped, L-shaped, U-shaped, um, and we're canvassing all these different shapes of the recovery. And I remember at the time that you said there was the potential for it to be a potentially a, a sawtooth or, or W-shaped recovery. Certainly V was all the rage for a while, um, but it's looking a little bumpier now, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, if you go back two weeks ago or so and you look about at a chart of Australian GDP or economic activity, it, it actually did look like a it looked like a V. But the reality is that it has been bumpy. Um, we talked about the EY sawtooth recovery, which looked a bit like a Nike swoosh with a bumpy bottom. And what you're seeing at the moment uh, with the lockdown in Greater Sydney is a pretty significant bump. The other letter that actually emerged, and I I have a lot of uh, sympathy for this one as well as around the K-shaped recovery 
that's been something that we've talked about more in 2021 than 2020, and that is that some of the recovery we're seeing is quite uneven, um, you know, across different types of people, different industries, and in the case of Australia, different uh, different states. Yeah, um, we'll, and I think we'll get into uh, that uh, as we go here because we're going to just do a bit of a deep dive, I suppose, on um, how this is all playing out in Australia. Uh, we're recording this show on July the 15th, 2021, and just this morning we had um, Australian uh, Labour Force data uh, from the ABS. So, Joe, um, setting aside, let's just uh, rewind a little bit first. Setting aside what's happening in Sydney at the moment, and there's also this um, cluster in, in Melbourne, um, but... Up until this point, it really has been a, a storming recovery in the jobs market, hasn't it? It certainly has. Um, we've seen not just economic activity back above pre-COVID levels, but the employment market well above uh, pre-COVID levels. Um, so today's data um, was for the month of June. Uh, the reference period, so when that uh, data is surveyed, is the first two weeks of June. So it would have captured the June lockdown in um, in Melbourne and Victoria more broadly, um, but is, is quite dated when you think about how quickly things are moving. But look, uh, we've got an unemployment rate at 4.9% in June. We haven't seen it that low in a decade. We've got underemployment relatively low. We've got youth unemployment back down again to levels that we haven't seen in a decade or so. Uh, we've got participation at record highs. Um, we've got female participation of female employment that's well and truly recovered. So it really has been a good news story. It has, yeah. Um, and maybe um, just going around the grounds, I, I, I was genuinely uh, surprised to see uh, unemployment with a four-handle uh, uh, on it. Um, we might expect maybe that to tick up in the next in the coming months just a little bit. But um, maybe talk about where, where we're seeing those jobs because obviously – there's all of this concern, particularly when you just think about the situation we're in, um, what's happening to the tourism industry, uh, you know, um, how hospitality has been able to navigate all of this um, with all of that all of that demand from visitors, um, from overseas visitors removed. Um, so maybe you can just give us a rundown of um, high level, like this jobs recovery, uh, what the composition of it has been. Sure. So I guess there's two elements to that. The first one is the sectors that we closed down have bounced back. And I actually think this is a really important message, Colgo, given what we're seeing in Greater Sydney at the moment. Every lockdown by nature is a bit different. But time and time again, we've seen that when we ease restrictions, um, jobs and economic activity and spending comes back. Now, there's lots of reasons for that, and a lot of that is the enormous amount of fiscal stimulus that's been put in place in Australia. Um, but what it means is, as we use restrictions, we are actually seeing those jobs that are lost in things like accommodation um, and food services bounce back. So we've seen jobs in retail bounce back. Um, in some sense, I see those as the easy wins, right? They're the jobs you lose in lockdown, and providing there's enough support to keep those businesses going, those jobs come back pretty quickly. But we've also seen jobs actually right across industries, right? Our mining sector is really strong, very high iron ore price, of course. Um, we've had a construction boom courtesy of the home builder scheme. So construction um, has also, um, you know, been, been an employer. Now, it's not in all areas of construction, but we certainly are seeing that. Uh, professional services, kind of the world that I inhabit, um, 
has also seen uh, really strong employment growth, also alongside technical services. So it's actually been quite broad-based. Well, actually, pro- I- professional services has been really interesting. I know that uh, I've read some um, astonishing things about the number uh, of positions that firms like yours are um, are trying to fill. Sure. Um, so, look, I think there's a few things that we've really learned about our economy through COVID. I guess when you go through a crisis, everything's laid bare, right? Um, so one of the things we've learned is that there are sectors of our economy and professional services is one of them where we really rely on the global labour market. Um, and as you say, that you know, I see, I see it in our business. When, when we're really busy, we can draw on our global network. We're a global firm. Um, and we can we can bring talented and technical expertise in um, to, to fill those roles. Now, to some extent, you can do that through Zoom, but but clearly not um, as much as we've needed to. The other big lesson, which kind of comes back to the way that you started talking about where are we seeing the jobs growth, I think one of the big lessons um, that got laid bare last year was um, we've always talked about tourism in terms of inbound tourism. You know, it turns out Australians spend a lot more travelling overseas than we earn from incoming tourists. So when you ask about hospitality and accommodation services, they've lost that international tourism. And don't get me wrong, there are parts of the tourism sector that genuinely um, rely on that very heavily. Um, but, you know, domestic tourism has been booming interstate, intrastate and staycation. Yeah, and higher margins too, certainly when you look at the prices um, uh, that are there for you know, whether it's Airbnb listings um, or, uh, you know... Um, Just the price of burgers and stuff, but like, even, even the small things. And it, it, uh, that hasn't taken a step back since we were talking about it, about uh, as everything sort of started to tick open a little bit last year, that, you know, we just saw that that, that, that little bit of a, oh, you know, we're going to add a bit, on, a bit more on, people will be happy to pay. Have not, yeah. have not seen that take a backward step at all this year. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, look, I, I suppose what, what we've just been describing and what Joe's spoken about, you know, it's a factor of, you know, oligopolistic or monopolistic market factors because, well, tough luck, this is all you've got. The country's closed, right? So I suppose where I'm going with all of this, Joe, and what's your view? Look, Australia's going to reopen. It's going to be a hell of a long time before it does, but it's probably going to be, you know, 12 to 18 months before the country hopefully reopens, right? How does this look? Everything that Because to my mind... Everything you've described can all be predominantly washed away on the back of the fact that the country's closed and has been for north of a year, right? So what what does Australia look like? And I know it's a hard one because what does the rest of the world look like at the same time? But what does Australia look like when when you do actually eventually reopen? Because I'm I'm hard-pressed to believe that conditions persist as they are. Like it's, it's all a little Goldilocks to my mind. (laughs) Um, Look, a really, really good question. Um, So let let me break it down. Um, And I'm going to go long term back to short term because I think it's a little bit easier. Um, We will reopen. I don't know when. You don't know when. 12 to 18 months. It's going to take some time, clearly. Um, I am very confident that when Australia reopens, uh, it remains a very attractive destination for skilled migrants, for students, and for tourists. Um, and Australia's performance through COVID, I think, reinforces that, doesn't take away from that. Um, having said that, I think there is a risk in the near term 
Um, I mean, we've got our borders closed. We can support the economy through fiscal stimulus. Uh, and we've done that. Um, and remember, our government debt levels are sort of half the, the G20 average. Um, we're still AAA rated. So we do have fiscal room to support the economy. But we are seeing, obviously, much faster vaccine rollout in countries like the UK and the US. And those economies are opening up. Um, and so for a period, we're going to lose our comparative advantage. We're going to lose a cohort of international students and of skilled migrants because we compete with those countries for those. And once you lose a student in the first year, they don't come and study at your university in the second year. You lose that whole kind of three or four or five year study period. Yeah. So so there is there is going to be an economic cost to that. You don't regain that. But I am very confident long-term that Australia remains very desirable as a destination. I, I, I suppose, look, on, on, the, on the education side of things, this China spat, for, for want of a better term, that's not going anywhere. That's going to maintain, right? I, I don't know that the breakdown, but I do, based on my own experience 20-odd years ago at, at university, know that the vast majority of uh, international students coming into Australia are from uh, basically the Southeast Asian region and, and, and Asian regions. And a lot of that are Chinese students and, and whatnot. Um, so I'm just wondering how much of a taint that puts on things and, and, and you know, what that really means to the education sector once once we are reopened. Um, and I, I just don't know. I just, I, the, the government has shown its hand in many ways, both positive and negative, over the last 12 months in Australia. And I, unfortunately, I think the negative connotations will persist even when the country reopens. So I'm, I'm just not as bullish on the overall case for Australia when the world, in, in inverted commas, re returns to you know normal and Australia reopens. But anyway, uh, let's carry on. Oh, well, <clears throat> I don't know if we've got time, Connor, but I, I mean, I guess just in response to that, I think that's a perfectly reasonable position, Ken. Like, at, at the end of the day, no one knows, right? But Queensland has had record overseas student enrolments this year. Now, albeit online and with a fairly hefty fee discount, but I find that interesting. Like, it still tells me that there is a, a premium or there is demand for Australian-based education. Um, and look, Chinese students are a very big part of our um, demand for tertiary services. I don't disagree about concerns about our, our trading relationship with our largest trading partner. I mean, we can circle back on that. Um, but actually, in, in many of our second-tier students, um, university, sorry, uh, you know, we have very large uh, cohorts of Nepalese students. Indian students are also right across the tertiary sector, uh, very big users. Um, and look, just speaking as a parent, if I was going to send my child to another country uh, to study, to send them to a country that has had the second lowest death rate from COVID in the world, uh, I would have thought was pretty attractive. Yeah, good start. Now, speaking of, uh, can you care if I jump in here? Yeah, go on, because n nothing I say will be positive going forward about the Australian <laughs> government. So, uh, so let's just move on, shall we? Well, we're, we're, we're going to jump. It's, 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 a slight, it's a slight pivot to, to throw it out to the wing attack, um, being myself here. Now, talking and, – and, Joe, I'm just going to give this a bit of a lead, and I was lucky enough – I'm going to just talk about um, vaccination and the roadmap out of here and where you see the long-term um, yeah. long picks and points uh, along for this one. And basically, when you want to go – when you want to go long Australia or what you want to be buying or selling at, at the particular time. Yesterday I was 
uh, lucky enough to have been invited because my local member is Trent Zimmerman, um, and you know, good guy, good local member, good mate of mine from from a long way back. But either way, still a local member, and, and invited us into a live call. Uh, it was actually very good communication from from a federal member. Invited us into a live call with um, the health minister, uh, Minister Hunt, which was which was handy, and you could actually ask questions and and and, and direct conversations with the with the health minister about bits and pieces. And someone did actually ask the question. Minister, what what is the magic number? What is the magic vaccination number that we? That, what's the percentage of what that we need to be at so that we can get ourselves out of this and actually start start thinking about thinking about what the next step is? And the answer was, for my mind, not the not the greatest. I mean, it was a good answer the way that he answered it, but it wasn't it wasn't the best uh, wasn't the best news uh, the the way it was projected because he did mention that it had been it has been referred or that or that they're leaning on something called the Doherty Institute, something I'd never heard of before. Um, the Doherty Institute, which is specialists on on that sort of immunisation and vaccine and, and virology and that sort of thing, that they um, to refer them back with with a number that, that that it would come with with what the vaccination rate needs to be and, and what the next moves would be out of that one. And he did say that they have been as yet forthcoming. They haven't been forthcoming with the number that they would need to have to come back. And for mine, that was very interesting. That the that first off, I was. I found it quite humorous that that it's actually the Peter Doherty Institute. That Pete Doherty is the one who's going to be leading us out of this, which I think is funny. But the the other the other thing that I found uh, sort of interesting is that there's not even a timeline. There wasn't a deadline that he that, that he mentioned a deadline for a deadline of what of what the horizon even looks like. And the old utopia joke, which is people are talking about, oh, we've got numbers and uh, we've got numbers and goals on the horizon. And the joke is that you never actually reach the horizon. Joe, I'm just seeing how your numbers. So coming to a point. How do you how do you model for that when we, there's no actual actual real set line in the sand of being able to say where we're actually going to be at a certain point based on vaccination rates and based on guidelines? How do you how are you modelling around that and what what's your best guess? Oh, so really simple question. Thanks for that. No worries. Any time. Awesome. Um, so you know we we had the statement from uh, the prime minister a couple of weeks ago around well, apparently around what the exit strategy looks like, except that it really didn't tell us anything new, right? It was common sense. Um, it didn't have any, to your point, uh, indication of what the vaccination rate would need to be yeah. or even the definition of that, right? So is it the percentage of your population fully vaccinated? Is it the percentage of your population that have had one shot? Is it the percentage of your population that have been eligible um, and able to go and get a vaccination should they want one? So... You know, from the businesses that I talk to all around the country, that that is a source of uncertainty, unquestionably. Um, and you know, as you know, James, uncertainty is kind of bad, right? It's bad for I, investment. Markets hate uncertainty. <laughs> I mean, it's good if you're on the other end and you're trading, and volumes what counts. But um, <laughs> in terms of kind of making transformative investment that our business sector needs to make, this kind of stuff is really important and really frustrating and difficult. Um, personal view i mean we've just got to get our population vaccinated right we cannot continue to live with the uncertainty around um international borders around domestic borders that are opening and closing all the time um and and also around sort of social restrictions and social distancing and, and the implications of those so it's an absolutely um critical issue um how do we model it? Look, at the end of the day, it's, it's a health and logistic issue, not an economic issue, right? The economics falls out of the health decision and the logistical bottlenecks. Um, so as economists have had to do through COVID, we're sort of giving our best guess. 
One thing I am doing with my clients as a result of COVID is we're doing scenario analysis all of the time rather than point forecasting. Um, And I actually think that will be a lasting legacy from COVID. Yeah, can you talk about that a bit? Like how many, what kinds of scenarios you end up um, modeling? Sure, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously you can have as many as you want, but kind of the, the classic way forward is, sort of and this is what you're seeing from the RBA as well right is sort of a base case and then and then a upside and a downside scenario um and our economic model is actually really good at doing that right so it means when you're talking to a client um really we can have a really robust discussion with our clients around what sort of assumption do you want us to run I mean, I can tell you what I think, but you tell me from what you're seeing in your business or what are you most sensitive to, um, we can run different different scenarios for that and provide some sensitivity analysis to that. And what it's allowing is for corporate Australia to be more nimble. Um, and that, that actually is a good thing, right? Mm. Um, to be more nimble to incoming um, data. Um, and actually... Uh, Look, I think if you look at the government through COVID, you know, there's bits that have been done really well. There's bits that arguably have not been done very well. But one call out I would make is we have seen governments become more nimble to what's happening on the ground. And you saw that just this week, right, with the federal government and the New South Wales government coming together and putting that stimulus package together. Now, you can argue how good the package is and it's, you know, whether it's certainly not perfect. But it got um, done. But, yeah. but, but it's nimble, right? Yeah. Yeah, just do it. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's um, it, I and I think that's a really, um, it's a really interesting point. And um, you know, maybe companies would be more sensitive to other types of data rather than just uh, epidemi- epidemiological ones. Um, and your point about uncertainty, Joe, really um, uh, reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you about, uh, and it's uh, private investment. So um, certainly in the federal budget. Uh, uh, for um, the, if, when it was released in May, there's big, big number in there in terms of what Treasury is expecting private investment to do. Start for the first time in many years doing some heavy lifting in terms of GDP comp- um, composition and um, uh, and also you know getting new projects and new plants and all of that off the ground. Um, it has had a big bump. Um, but uh, given this uncertainty, do you think that the um, the conditions are there are for that to continue? And also, where would you be hoping to see it? Um, and this is, I think, pointy question. If if it was to produce the kinds of productivity improvements that Productivity Commission, all sorts of economists, including yourself, have been talking about for years now, um, that we need to lift productivity uh, in Australia in terms of um, dollars out for dollars in. Um, where would you be hoping to see that um, private investment? All righty, another another really easy one. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm going to split this into three stages, right? Yeah. Um, so the first one is um, we are absolutely seeing businesses respond to the measures that were in the budget. Um, so accelerated depreciation, instant asset write-off, support for cash flow. As you said, we are seeing investment outside of the mining sector um, in machinery and equipment growing in double digits uh, in the fourth quarter and the first quarter of this year. Uh, That is a good thing. Um, For a long time, business investment has been the missing ingredient to Australia's growth story. Um, I guess, so that's good. Um, Two kind of caveats to that. The first one is that we know from history that a large portion, and you never know how much of this, but um, measures like accelerated depreciation bring forward investment. 
They don't necessarily generate investment that would not have occurred otherwise, mm. right? Yeah. So you think about, you know, we tend to talk about it in terms of youths, right, for the tradie. Um, so let's use that analogy. Um, I was always going to buy a ute and I bring it forward because I can write it off straight away. So I bring it forward to June, I write it off, but I don't go and buy another ute next year. Maybe I buy a more expensive ute or a more fancy ute, but I don't buy two, right? So, so the first thing is some of this is a, is a bring forward of investment. Now, that's not bad because actually that's good counter-cyclical policy, right? That's what fiscal policy does, supports growth when the domestic private economy can't do it. Um, but it does leave a question mark down the track. Um, I guess the second caveat is, um, and related to productivity, is, um, you know, that investment is good and we should welcome that, but it's not transformative investment. So if you think about the transition to clean energy, for example, things like accelerated depreciation are, are not underpinning that transformative investment. And the data is not great on this and it's a bit delayed, but, you know, I don't think we're seeing an RMD boom in Australia, um, particularly. If you look in the budget, the government had the patent box, um, which works. Uh, you know, we many other countries use that to try and, and boost innovation. Um but they kept it to just med tech effectively, right? So I feel like that was a missed opportunity um, to try and get the kind of innovation and R&D investment that Australia needs to build the Australia that we need for the future. Which brings me to your last one around productivity. I mean, we've talked about this for over the years a lot, right, Colgo? Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, so I think, you know, we tend to talk about it in terms of reform, um, government reform, we absolutely need to lift productivity in this country. Um, we we need business to play a role. I mean, at the end of the day, every business in there and every individual could choose to do something differently this week that boosts productivity. So it has to be everyone rowing in the same direction. Um, some of the investment we've seen in the last year will boost productivity. We have seen parts of the economy spend a lot on digital and technology and data, for example. That, that will pay a dividend. But we need to lift productivity growth from 0.6% per year over the last business cycle to 1.5% per year, which is the assumption in the intergenerational report. And even with that 1.5%, the intergenerational report showed budget deficits out to 2060-61. So it's a step in the right direction, but you know it's not enough. Um, nowhere near enough. And just before I move on, a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the BIP Show is brought to you by Brookside Energy, an exciting ESG-focused ASX-listed oil and gas company. Record high oil and gas prices, an existing solid production base, and the first of over 20 planned wells about to come on production. Brookside Energy, a compelling story. So back to where we were, Joe, and um, just thinking about that. So there's I'm just thinking about, you know, you bring forward investment into this year. Um, the RBA is definitely expecting growth to slow uh, into 2022 um, and 2023. Can I just ask you um, how you see, I mean, uh, uh, with the um, exception and the big uh, proviso that we don't really know how we're going to, you know, how the next few weeks is going to play out, never mind the next uh, uh, few years. Um, but uh, uh, growth moderating next year, what do you think that's going to look like? Um, and what do you think the dynamics are that could that, that people might look for for a growth surprise uh, on the upside and one on the downside maybe? Um, sure. So um, first up, I, 
I actually might take take a stab at, at the uh, Greater Sydney lockdown. I might prove to regret this, um, or you may never have me back. Which, anyway, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I'm going to make the point that uh, every lockdown we've had, providing you can re- minimise economic scarring, so long-term unemployment and businesses that have a future that can't survive the lockdown, providing you minimise that through fiscal policy, every time we've eased restrictions, the economy has come back. And... Given the stimulus package that we saw earlier this week, I am confident that as Sydney emerges, the economy will come back. Um, The recovery will be a bit weaker for it, but I feel like it's a bump, not a U-turn. And I I think that's really, really important. Mm. Um, In terms of of the outlook, I mean, forecasting is really tough at the moment. Um, Of course, we expect growth to to uh, weaken a bit in 2022 and 2023 because we're coming off just a stomping recovery, right? Um, and also the base of growth will be bigger. So you naturally expect, um, expect that to occur. Um, but at the end of the day, there are only two advanced economies where the size of economic activity is back to pre-pandemic levels, and that's Australia and New Zealand. Um, now, I expect countries like the UK and the US will catch up because their vaccination rates are so strong. But, um, you know, I think we will continue to grow. Um, and, that, and that's the base case scenario. You can argue whether we're going to see, you know, 2% growth or 4% growth. Um, I mean, this, this may sound a bit flippant, but in a sense, does it really matter? <laughs> so, like, as, yeah. long as, you're still, as long as you're still recovering, um, that's the key thing, right, for me. Um, and then I guess, and look, you've heard me say this before, for me, you know, people feel recession through jobs, right? So the jobs market's really, really critical. Um, if growth ends up, up being 1%, not 3%, like really, in, in the scheme of the kind of numbers that we've been talking about through COVID, I, I'm not sure that that's game-changing. Um, so I guess for me the question is what could see the economy go backwards, right? Because mm. then, then that is a really different scenario. Um, now, the Sydney lockdown may mean that we get a negative September quarter, a contraction in the September quarter. I, I still think of that as sort of a bump. Um, what could give us, you know, a dramatically different trajectory? Uh, look, that is still really around the virus, right? Uh, I mean, if we end up with nationwide prolonged lockdown, um, that's going to be a real hit to, to, to the economic outlook. Uh, and that, that's the thing that, that you worry about most. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose one thing, that, one area where it might, where there might, like a stronger growth might have an impact is monetary policy. Um, uh, you know, in terms of the RBA deciding to, um, you know, accelerate its taper plans, um, uh, and maybe uh, drop some of the highly unconventional measures that it's had in place, um, like uh, you know its attempts at uh, yield curve control, uh, etc. Do you still see rates? Well, let's just talk about the cash rate. Do you still th- see the cash rate being on hold till twenty twenty three, regardless of um, how that looks? Um, look, I think so. Um, I, I mean, we, we've heard from Governor Lowe that, you know, it will be data, not date dependent. Uh, and I think that's the right approach. So as we've seen in the last year or so, a lot can change in a really short space of time. Um, but, you know, the messaging from the bank has been really consistent around the cash rate, right? Mm. Um, they want to see inflation, actual, not forecast inflation, sustainably in the band. And Governor Lowe last week gave 
some additional information around what that looks like. And he talked about, you know, inflation getting back in the band, staying in the band for a few quarters. So one imagines that's three or four. And an underlying story that suggests that it will stay there, which he defined as wage growth running at sort of 3% plus. Um, so that's sort of what we need to get. So the fact that you need inflation in the band for three quarters before you move the cash rate, that in itself sort of gives you a really long lead time, right, to, to raise the cash rate. And I also think maybe just another point, and this isn't just on the cash rate, but the overall stance of monetary policy, um, on the way down, in the in the easing phase, uh, if you don't keep keep up with other central banks, you end up with a currency that's higher than it would have been otherwise, right? Mm. Key reason behind the last rate cut that we got from the RBA. But obviously, that wasn't that, that pressure isn't there on the way on the tightening side of the, the cycle, right? You, yeah, right? You're really happy for the the RBNZ to start tightening as they did this week um, and see your currency lower than it would have been otherwise and supporting the recovery. Yeah, um, fascinating, and um, it certainly is. I hadn't, uh, I honestly had not thought about that at all. Um, you know, uh, like Fed um, tightening, even if it if it gets to that point, um, you know, you probably likely see big recovery into in in the big dollar, and um, that would you know um, uh, obviously affect the the Aussie. So um, it's interesting, and I want to I want to talk about um, about the U.S. economy a bit. Um, first of all, can I ask you? Do you think we will get to that inflation to, to the to that inflation environment in Australia that um, uh, that Lowe was talking about? Is it achievable? Uh, so, I mean, everything's achievable. Um, uh, look, we are driving the unemployment rate lower, and we are having you know great success in doing that. Now, some of that is kind of border closures, but clearly, if you run the economy above potential, we are seeing a response in the labour market. So, look, if we can get unemployment into the low fours and we can hold it there, then over time I think we will generate some wage growth. Um, You know, so in short, I still believe in that relationship between the unemployment rate and wages, although clearly the curve has flattened and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, But, yeah, like I, I think we can get there, but I think it will take some time. And even at the moment... Obviously, we're seeing skill shortages in some parts of the economy, and you may see wage growth in those parts. But when you look overall, you know, underutilization, um, so unemployment and underemployment, even in today's numbers, still sitting at 12.8%. Um, our estimate is you have to get that well below 12% to generate sort of economy wide wage growth. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, noticed, um, I, I noticed today the, sorry, the Aussie, yeah, the Aussie 10 year bond yield is, um, Below one point three percent, so it's one point two nine at the moment, which is uh, just amazing. Sorry, Ken. Can, can I just jump in, Cog? And I mean, I, I know this is probably a bit of a bit of a not, not a nothing question, but it's a tough one. So, Joe, can I ask you? Had had COVID never happened, right? Would you be as bullish on the scenario you've described for Australia as as you are now? Like, I mean. Basically, if, I, if I've understood correctly, you've described the scenario whereby we, the momentum that we've seen in the Australian economy as a function of, you know, monetary and fiscal and all, all the other stuff, uh, has waned a little bit in the, in the last couple of months. But net-net, it's been quite positive. It's been fairly strong. And it's made for a bullish case whereby you, I suppose, at, at base, believe that we're going to come back 
as well, if not bigger, better and stronger than we were pre-COVID. So let's imagine COVID didn't exist. Uh, the Fed never dropped rates uh, at the beginning of last year and they were probably mid to late cycle in terms of hiking, so they might have been a little bit higher. Uh, RBA probably wouldn't have followed suit. Maybe they would have been, you know, 25 basis points at best. I mean, would you be as bullish Australia uh, if, if all of this hadn't happened? Absolutely not. Um, so if you look through COVID, right, we've got um, interest rates have fallen. Not and, and we tend to talk about the cash rate, but look at just you know look how much fixed rates have fallen. That has absolutely been stimulatory through the housing market, which feeds through to housing construction, but also household wealth. Um, so that's been really really important. We've had extraordinary amount of fiscal stimulus, and even though that stimulus is tapering, the level of stimulus is the level of government spending is still extraordinary. We've got in, um, companies that have um, started to invest. Now, again, maybe counter-cyclical, but they are investing more now than they would have done had COVID not happened, unquestionably. Um, and look, we've got Aussies that are trapped at home and spending on boats and dogs and renovating their homes and, and domestic travel. Um, but having said that, use the expression big, big, better and stronger um, I think we, we are bigger than we would have been otherwise. Whether or not we end up being better, I think the jury is still out on that. And that, that's like this question of, is it enough? You don't just want to reset, right? We want to reimagine. Because if you think about where Australia was pre-COVID, we had growth running below potential, zero growth in GDP per capita, which is a measure of living standard. We had weak wage growth, weak productivity growth, um, non-mining business investment was almost completely absent. You, you don't just want to return to that, right? Um, we do want to um, take the opportunity to build a better Australia. And better is um, more diverse, more inclusive, um, more sustainable, um, more mm. equitable. Mm. Um, okay, Joe, two things on that. Everything you've just mentioned in terms of being better, to me, honestly rings true of like just political slogans and, and I, I'm sorry, there's no bit on this on this side of it. I'm not a buyer. The other thing I want to ask was uh, you say, you know, bigger, better, et cetera. How, 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 forget the better for a moment. How is Australia bigger? It's bigger as a function of the fiscal and monetary stimulus, correct? Uh, well, no, because in, in the March quarter, all of the growth came from the private sector. All of the growth. Okay, but, but, yeah, so, but that, stemmed, that originally also, stemmed also from... Look at, look at unemployment. I mean, you cannot argue that the unemployment is unemployment at 4.9 is is better than it was pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so no, no immigration, we've got unemployment. Okay, so... Uh, I suppose what I'm getting at is the sustainability of where we are. So if, if if we agree that had COVID never happened, we'd be far, far worse off than we are now. And my hypothesis, if you will, is that what we're seeing now uh, is temporary in terms of Australia's performance as a function of the the state that we're in and the and the state that the world's in. And if that if that comes out in the next 12, 18 months then where Australia is now is unsustainable. So do we, do we not simply just revert to maybe not necessarily exactly where we were pre-COVID, 
but somewhere in between. And, and that's still not exactly a, a healthy healthy position to be in on a, on a global scale, is it? I, I, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, if I can just give you my take, I reckon I'd much rather be in the situation we are in because it gives us a stronger platform, gives the economy a stronger platform for the next bit, which is the harder bit, um, which is like how do we ensure that we don't, um, that some of it doesn't unwind. Um, and that we don't end up back to, you know, with unemployment at five and a half or 5.7 or what it was like before, you know. I, mean, I guess the way I think of it, I mean, yeah, like there's a lot to unpack, right? And, and the truth the truth is, Ken, like no one knows. And I absolutely agree with you, Colgo, that the hard work is, is still ahead of us, right? Like they're easy wins in terms of job creation are behind us because most of the restrictions have been eased, subject to what you're seeing in Sydney at the moment. Um, but... Where, we, where Australia was before this was lacklustre, but it wasn't a bad place to live, right? Um, so I, I think that, that's important to remember. But um, And a stronger global environment is good for Australia. But to answer your question, yes, if we want to have a more resilient economy with a higher standard of living, then there are some hard decisions that need to be made in the period ahead. Um, not just in government, but in in our business sector, um, and and that work needs is is still still needs to be done. And I, I I'm not too critical of that because I think until now we've been fighting a, a health crisis, and for many corporates just kind of trying to stay alive. But now they need to get the headspace to do what's needed to to be a company of the future. Okay. I, ju- I just want to just want to throw in, sorry, Colgo, just on that. Like, I, I don't want either Joe or yourselves, or certainly the listeners, to think that you know I'm just a cynical expat sat on the other side of the planet, just you know throwing uh, the proverbial you know feces at the wall. That is Australia. But uh, it, you know, objectively here, like I, I would love for Australia to go from strength to strength. It's just that I exactly that being sat on the other side of the planet at arm's length gives you a certain amount of objectivity that just it just doesn't ring true of, of what you know is 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 what i'm seeing so i hope all of this happens i just i just struggle to to, to see how there definitely is a fair bit of policy reform to to pull it on through um we do need to wrap up and but i um we have to play the transitory game, uh, Joe. Um, ah, yes. Transitory <laughs> wheel of fortune. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Masters. Um, <laughs> so, so another big beat. She likes long walks on the beach. Yeah. Now, spin the wheel. Um, a- another another big beat in US CPI this week, right? So, uh, I mean, amazing. 4.5% core inflation, I think. Um, uh, much higher than expected. Yet another beat, um, and I think what's interesting is there's all these wild stories in America about sign-on bonuses for staff, like people in restaurants getting a thousand bucks to to um, to take a job, um, people leaving jobs without with no notice, um, everything. They red hot employment, jobs, mate. Yeah, red hot employment market. BlackRock um, giving everybody uh, an eight percent pay increase this year. Mm. Um, now, of course. Look, this matters again, you know, if the Fed starts raising raising rates, um, and I think your point, Joe, about uh, that environment being exposed to that through the Aussie dollar would actually be very helpful for Australia. Um, but um, the rest of the world might be dragged along for the ride too in terms of raising rates as well. So, transitory or not, uh, what do you think? <laughs> 
look, I'm still sitting in the transitory camp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, look, I, I think you can debate it out. Um, so the question is, are we seeing inflation, right? We are absolutely seeing commodity price inflation. We are absolutely seeing asset price inflation. We are absolutely seeing inflation at the producer price level, largely because of still some dislocation in global supply chains. Um, look, I'm an economist, right? I'm just going to come back and say the number one determinant of core inflationary pressures continues to be wage growth. And while we are seeing wage growth in some sectors of the economy, wage growth economy-wide, whether that's in the US or in Australia, hasn't run away from us. Um, now, that, that may still happen, but that, that would ha- I, I would have to be convinced that that was coming to think that we are going to see sustained higher inflation. Um, and, you know, I guess when I think about things like the impact of semiconductors, for example, you know, which are clearly flowing through the inflation chain, um, once we resolve those supply chains, that will actually become disinflationary. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I yeah. guess, I mean, I hate to throw another element, but like, okay, transitory versus permanent. Like, what do you call permanent? Um, but I, I, I just, I just can't see it when I still see spare capacity in the labor market. And you look in the US. I, I don't have the number in front of me, but payrolls are well below where they were pre-COVID, right? So, um, and as you tighten your labor market, you start to get geographic and skill mismatches. That last bit. Um, of people available to work, getting them into the workforce tends to be harder. So I'm still sitting in the transitory camp. Interesting. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and of course, we'll be following it um, as we go on <laughs> through the year. So thanks, Joe. Be. Now, Joe, just a couple of times, and we'll follow this through on maybe uh, uh, as I do a write up for the show um, after it gets released at the end of the week. But we'll talk about a couple of times that you've mentioned. Uh, companies that, and you've said companies that that should survive or, or that, that, that that could survive go through. I think that a big thing that's not really been um, headlined at the moment, and because it's too soon to do so, is definitely the zombie company situation. That's, yeah. That that will for sure. We'll, we'll save that for the write up. Um, awesome. So I'll have I'll have a talk to you about that offline, and uh, and we'll see if we can get that out um, on the uh, on the trade the page just to follow this one up. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, good definitely. Thanks, yeah, I, I really think the zombie company question is really because everybody was talking about zombies before, um, the, before we there, went into COVID, like when the economy seemed healthy. So, and the, you know they haven't gone away. So, uh, this episode of the Bip Show has been brought to you by Brookside Energy, one of the most exciting sustainable growth oil and gas companies listed on the ASX for investors wanting exposure to rising oil and gas prices. Uh, the stock code is BRK. Our guest this week has been Joanne Masters. Chief Economist at EY Oceania. Joe, uh, once again, thank you so much for coming back on the on the BIP show and going through all of that with us. It's my pleasure. It's always good to chat with you all. Yeah, and we'll uh, definitely be having you back for what I think will be our fourth, will it, um, Christmas special? Um, oh, yes. Uh, oh, I look forward to that. Five. I hope it's face-to-face. Yes. It better be. Too. Yeah. You've been listening to The Bip Show. Uh, we're on Twitter individually at Colgo, at James Whelan 42 at Ken Vexler, 
and uh, Joe Masters is on Twitter as well. Daily insights uh, from Joe and the team at AY. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. James, we should update that Facebook page. We haven't done much on it lately, have we? Um, I've been focusing on my own website. Get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it now. Fine. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, Ken, thanks very much. Mate. Thank you, guys, and John. Thank you. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to be maybe as as, as quite direct as I was, but <laughs> it's a pleasure. I have opinions. What can you do? Yeah. Hey, it's good to ha- better to have an opinion than be wrong and not have any opinion at all. That's right, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sanguine um, uh, Ken, I think, is the is the term. <laughs> um, well, now I'm going to have to look up something in the dictionary. Sanguine Dexter, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, been a really great show. Um, uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. By the way, we love those five star ratings. Uh, the show is produced by Rick Salter. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>